So today's sermon is entitled, Women, Strong Men, and the Art of Finding Jesus. And we'll look at how blind spots impact all three. Let's read our passage for today. This is Luke chapter 24, the first 35 verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Okay, are you hooked on the story yet? Seriously, if you're looking for more out of life, if you're looking for your life to transcend the ordinary, this story already has a huge transcendent moment in it. This is like my experience of my son being born on steroids. You know, just, and this is just the first of several experiences like this in the story. So let's keep reading. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. Those were Jesus' closest disciples, all men, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But, what, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, and they told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to see the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they did not, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up, returned at once to Jerusalem, 
There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And one thing among many that I find terribly interesting is this detour right in the middle of the story. So we're going along, these women um, have this experience of the resurrection. And then verse 13 says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were walking with each other, talking about everything that had happened. As they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up to them and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, that's an interesting thing to do, don't you think? Why would Jesus do that? Verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus keeps himself from being recognized. He doesn't say, hey, guys, it's me. And he doesn't even let on who he is, even when it's humorous. So at one point, they say all these things, only are you a visitor to Jerusalem? Not know all these things that have happened these days. And Jesus goes, What things? This is Jesus who just lived all these things, talking about what things? He had to be like sort of giggling inside, like not giving it away, but sort of laughing to himself. Maybe even a little smirk in the corner of his mouth. But the question I ask myself is: why would Jesus hide his identity? I, I mean, what's the point here? It's kind of like me, the one thing I've never understood, and maybe I grew up in a small town, so you may not have seen this, but maybe some of you are from other places besides the city. Has anyone ever seen a camo wallet, camouflage wallet? You guys have all seen this, right? Or you can at least imagine a camo wallet. And here's the thing I don't get about a camouflaged wallet. First of all, it's in your pocket, right? So if you're trying to hide from someone, or be hidden from an animal that you're hunting or whatever's going on. It doesn't make a difference. Your, your wallet could be flashing, blinking lights, but it's in your pocket. No one's going to see it. No animal's going to see it, right? However, if you're walking through the woods and you reach in maybe to get your phone and you accidentally drop your wallet, then you can't find it because it's camouflaged. So it seems to me... I know there's probably a fashion thing happening here, but it seems kind of pointless and possibly unhelpful to have a camouflage wallet, right? So if, why would Jesus camouflage himself? And if God is with us, I think there's a bigger question here, which is why is he sometimes hard to see? I think there's a couple reasons. One is I think it's to challenge our perceptions, so Jesus is all around these two guys, obviously. He's walking with them. Um, people have told them that he's risen from the dead, but they can't see him or believe that he's actually at work around them. And I think there's a couple of things that can help us from this. If we want to connect with Jesus, if we want to see what he's doing in our lives, particularly if we never have or it seems like we can't anymore. And the first is this. I think it's helpful to understand we need to discover it's good for us to discover our prejudices. So in this passage, we've got these two travelers, and it seems like they've got some serious blind spots, right? Because Jesus is right next to them. They can't see him. And let's just consider where our story started. So in verse 9, it says, When they came back from the tomb, the women, 
They told them all these, thing, all these things to Eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and all the others who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, it's true. The story of Jesus' resurrection would be a hard one to take in. But, considering that many of these folks had been with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I wonder, I wonder if part of the reason that these men had a hard time believing the women was that the report was coming from women. Now, if you remember, after their encounter with Jesus, uh, you know, breaks the bread and they see him, the two gentlemen return to Jerusalem, and this happens. There they found the eleven and those with him assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Still, the emphasis is on what Simon has seen and said, and the women aren't even mentioned. Where did they even get Simon from anyway? I mean, it seems that some of these men, these great biblical men, might have a blind spot when it comes to listening to women. Now, I can't say for 100% sure that the men of our story didn't listen to the women's report because they were women, but I can say for sure that God was trying to speak to them through women, and they missed it. Men, it is so easy to do this. It is ingrained in our culture. And I think we need to be very careful about this because we may do this. You, 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 oh enlightened one, may do this without realizing it. And I know that it's much easier to make this point today for me because my wife, Becca, is out of town. And if you could be a fly on the wall in our home or any restaurant we might be together or anything for the last 17 years, you'd see way too many examples of this in our relationship. So I'm not on some high perch telling you to get on board with where I'm going. You know who some of the biggest or greatest offenders are in this regard? Enlightened men who believe all the right things. You know, when Beck and I, 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 some of you may have heard these stories before, but so germane here. When Beck and I first moved to Philadelphia, uh, we were a part of some teams in an association that our church was a part of back then that was working to do good things in different parts of the country and different parts of the world. And so because we were working with people from different churches, uh, we would have phone calls. And so on these phone calls, it would be all men and Becca. And it was jaw-dropping some of the things would happen. So, true story, no exaggeration. This happened at least once. I remember we were having this conversation. And Becca brings up something. Hey, I think this would be really helpful if we did this. It could do this, 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 and this. And then we have this conversation for another 10 or 15 minutes. Then right before we hang up, um, someone on the call, a, a man who believed that women should be pow empowered to lead in all different forms and can lead and blah, 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 says, great idea, Brad click. <laughs> True story. Another time, we're on the phone. 
Same group of enlightened dudes. And Becca. Because Becca used to co-pastor this church. Some of you don't know that. Best pastor we ever had. She's told me I'm not allowed to say that. She's not here. So best pastor this church has ever had. True story. So another time we're on the phone, Becca would say something. And we would just move on. Ten minutes later, I say exactly, make exactly the same suggestion. Conversation stops. Hmm. You know, Brad, that's a good idea. And it goes on from there. So when we would have these conversations with these enlightened men who loved Jesus, had a theology that included women in all levels of leadership, Beck and I would have to plan ahead. Okay, here's, here's what's important. Here's how we're going to do it. Either I'm going to say it, but you have to say it again 10 minutes later, or you're just going to do it. Because there's a lot of energy that we were spending planting a church. How many battles do you want to fight all the time? And here's the thing. I actually read an article uh, by uh, Damon Young that I resonated with, and he points out some of these things. And he says, generally speaking, we, men, Damon's a guy, so he says, we do not believe things when they are told to us by women. Do we think women are pathological liars? No. But does it generally take longer for us to believe something if a woman tells it to us than it, it would if a man told us the exactly, exact same thing? Definitely. Young goes on, he describes how he is now realizing after two years that he doesn't trust his wife. Uh, he trusts her like not to cheat on him, right? Not to lie to him, not to steal. But what he doesn't trust are her feelings or her reactions to certain situations. Does this sound familiar? So when his wife comes to him upset about something, his afterthought is, quote, she's probably overreacting. He also elaborates. He says, until she convinces me otherwise, I assume that her emotional reaction to a situation is disproportionate to my opinion of what level of emotional reaction the situation calls for. Basically, if she's on eight, I assume the situation is really a six. Now, this next part, he writes, it's so poignant and well said that I'm including the entire thing verbatim so you get the full effect. So it's a little bit longer than a quote I would normally read, but I think it's on point. He says this, the theme that women's feelings aren't really to be trusted by men drives an estimated 72.81% of the sitcoms we watch, 31.2% of the books we read, and 98.9% of the conversations men have with other men about the women in their lives. Basically, women are crazy, and we are not. Although many women seem to be very annoyed by it, it generally depicts, it, it generally it's generally depicted as one of those cute and innocuous differences between the sexes. And perhaps it would be if it were limited to feelings about the dishes or taking out the garbage, but this distrust can be pervasive, spreading to a general skepticism about the truthfulness of their own accounts of their own experiences. Sound like the story we're reading today in the Bible? If women's feelings aren't really to be trusted then naturally their recollections of certain things that have happened to them aren't really to be trusted either. And now here, Young brings it home, and this might hit some of you hard. It might push you, but I think we need to hear it. He says, this is part of the reason 
why it took an entire high school football team of women for some of us to finally just consider that Bill Cosby might not be Cliff Huxtable. It's how, despite hearing complaints about it from girlfriends, homegirls, cousins, wives, and classmates, so many of us refuse to believe how serious street harassment can be until we saw it with our own eyes. It's why we need to be, why we need to see actual video evidence before believing, oh, I'll cut that one. You can read the article. I don't need to go there. And this article was written before the Me Too movement and all the things that have come out in just the past year, year and a half. And this, I think, is what happens here in this Bible story. No one believes the women. The men, and maybe some of the women too, have to meet Jesus themselves or hear it from a man. And so they miss God when he's walking right next to them. So ladies, women, what can you do? You know, a, a couple of years ago, this article went around social media, and I don't know where I read it, by Sorey Chamali. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, so I apologize. It's called uh, 10 Simple Words Every Girl Should Know. You guys remember that article? Uh, and here's what she says. Men interrupt women, speak over them, and discount their contributions to a discussion with surprising regularity. Here's how women should respond. Here are the 10 words. Stop interrupting me. I just said that. No explanation needed. But honestly, it's a funny article and it makes its point, but it's not that easy. And the reason why is because women, when women point out that they are overlooked, if they stand up for themselves, what happens? They get a certain label that starts with the letter B. And when women, I think, need allies who are men. You know, I had another call uh, a few years later than those calls we were on when we were first getting started, but it was another collection of pastors and church leaders, and it was this large uh, teleconference forum. And um, my friend Dorothy, after listening patiently to lots of people talk, starts in on a point that she liked to make. And when I say starts in on, I mean like two, three sentences in, not like, oh, I had a two, three cents halfway through an idea and this dude just like steamrolls. Blah, 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 blah. And it was like, whoa. And so because I had the experience with Becca, um, I thought, well, if Dorothy says something to this guy, he's going to think she's sensitive or whatever. So like, hey, hey, <laughs> I didn't say hey, hey. I tried to be diplomatic. I said, hey, um, hey, man, I think that's a really good question to ask. I think we should come back to it. But I think Dorothy was in the middle of making a point. Why don't we finish up with what she was saying and come back? All right? Don't, I'm not a hero. Like I said, if you're in my house, you know how, <laughs> how I don't listen to Becca, the smartest person that I know all the time. But I'd seen it so many times that I actually could pick up on it while it was happening. And what encouraged me is, you know, on those little online forums, there will be a chat box at the bottom and as soon as I said something, my real encouragement was to look at the chat box in the corner, and there were all these comments from dudes saying, man, you just stomped all over her idea, and hey, slow down. She was saying, <laughs> so I was like, okay, good. So people 
are starting to pick up on things, and it gave me a little bit of hope for the future. But my point is we need to learn, dudes, and, and, and women too, to listen to women. And this is a blind spot we need to be on guard against every day in our lives. We are always in danger of missing Jesus because he's reaching out to us through our wives, our sisters, our coworkers, our bosses, who are women. And women, be encouraged. I know, like you could be hearing this and you're like, man, it even happens in the Bible. This is, oh, I'm so glad I came to church today. Like the last thing I need is to see it happen. I can see how this could be discouraging, but realize, this is what I want you to realize. The fact that this is in the Bible so clearly right here, this is a major sort of I feel you from the Holy Spirit. This is a message from the Holy Spirit to you in the Bible. This is a huge, I know. I see you. I see what you have to deal with. This is a story that Christians believe was written under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit by a man. A man that maybe doesn't even realize himself that men don't listen to women. Yet it's so clearly evident in this story. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, I know. I get it. But even if men may discount you, you had the gospel first. I won't forget you. And no one can keep you from my best, my transcendence. No one can keep you from Jesus. Amen? Women, this is actually, this is good for you. And men, this is good for you too. There are messages here about what it means to be a strong person and a strong man. You see, it isn't just about men. This passage isn't just about men listening to women. It's about blind spots in general that we all have, men and women. And I think that we all want God to speak to us, but usually in a certain way. And these guys probably would have preferred Jesus to appear to them and say, here I am. But God isn't always most interested in who, wait, let me say that. God is always most interested in who we're becoming as opposed to meeting our expectations. So he'll speak to us, but sometimes in ways that force us to confront our prejudices, our pride, and our blind spots. He wants to grow us, to strengthen us, to make us stronger. You know, another blind spot that we often have that we can see here in this passage is the way we view scripture. Did you notice how Jesus talks about the Bible? He said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So here Jesus is really sort of not only affirming scripture, but banking on it. He submits himself to what other people have written by letting the scriptures be the judge to others of whether he is who he says that he is. And the idea here, I think, is that, you know, 
God speaks through the Bible. And that's what Jesus thought. He says it in this passage. He says that the scriptures speak of him. Ancient documents written 2,000 years before his arrival were inspired in pointing to and speaking of him. And I know that is a challenging idea for many of us today. I mean, there are parts of those now 4,000-year-old scriptures that aren't easy to make sense of. But Jesus banks his credibility on them. And I think the way I'd like to think about it is this. We need, I think, to expect more from the Bible, not less. And Jesus is, as many of us, need to learn to trust women or marginalized voices. We need to trust, learn to trust the ability of God to speak to us through the Bible. And Jesus is, is counting on that. Now, you might think among many other things, you know, hasn't the Bible been manipulated to meet political ends instead of simply being the report of actual events like Luke, the author of what we're reading today, claims at the beginning of his writing? That's a big discussion, but I think we can see here that one of the things scholars have pointed out that might help you feel a little bit better about learning to lean into the scriptures a little bit more is that the content of scriptures are far too counterproductive for these stories to be politically motivated. And I know you probably heard, oh, it was just, they had their political agenda, blah, blah, blah. But a great example of that is something that we've already touched on in today's message. It is totally counterproductive with no, absolutely no political advantage for Luke to choose to make the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection women. At the time that Luke wrote his account, women were afforded such a low status in that society that their test you may have heard this, their testimony was not admissible as evidence in court. Their testimony, women's testimony was not admissible as evidence in court, yet they're the first witnesses of Jesus after his resurrection. It's completely counterproductive politically for Luke to name women as the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus unless it's the way it actually happened. So there are scholarly and textual reasons to trust the validity of Scripture as Jesus does. doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean there aren't challenges. And there are more questions than that in our contemporary society. There is no longer an unwavering trust in the Bible because it's the Bible. But for thousands of years, billions of people, including Jesus, have found the Spirit of God speaking powerfully to them in the pages of Scripture. There are things to be wrestled with, questions to be asked, problems without easy answers. But one of the main thrusts of this passage is that the living Christ can be found through interaction with these ancient texts through the Bible. And more than answers, there's mystery, power, invitation, and transcendence to be found. Jesus is to be found. And another reason, though, 
that Jesus might be hard to find. We said one. We have our blind spots or prejudices, but we can see in verse 21 and 25 another reason. So it says, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. The key phrase, I think, here is, but we had hoped. And these followers, they're, they're, they're truly, truly disappointed. We thought this was it. We thought he was going to redeem Israel, and he died. And then verse 25 says, He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The key phrase here for this point is slow to believe. Every other version I read translates this as slow of heart to believe. And this is because the Greek word, this may sound familiar, cardio, is included in this phrase. And that may sound familiar because it's cardio, sounds like cardiac. You know, if you're a cardiac surgeon, you work on the heart. And so this slow to believe has something to do with the heart. And sometimes I think the reason God allows himself to be camouflaged, not to be annoying, <laughs> it's not to be unhelpful, but it's actually to reveal our hearts. The main reason that we sometimes cannot find God isn't intellectual. It isn't some argument in our mind. We, we, and we may all have really legitimate intellectual questions for God that we should discuss that are worth working out. But my experience is that the main barriers that we have to overcome to trust or believe in God are heart issues. We're slow of heart to believe. If you're real, how could you let me down? And for these two men, they're saying, we had hoped, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. And that's the real issue. We had hoped and we have been supremely let down, devastated. And you notice what Jesus does, and this is how I know you, you can see that this is a heart issue, is he helps them work through what they're feeling. You know what he does? He asks questions. What are you discussing together as you walk along? Hmm, what things? Tell me more. And here Jesus is engaging their minds, so he's inviting them to try and make sense of what's been happening, to struggle with it, to think through it. You know, don't just let it be and say, well, God is good and that's that. There's a process here. He's asking. He wants them to dig. He wants them to learn. But he's also engaging their hearts. It's like a therapist or something. Go ahead. Express your disappointment. Tell me more about it. Share your heart. Be honest with how you feel. If you're angry, express it. If something is keeping you from trusting God, tell me. And as we're honest with God about how we feel, we'll find that he's actually often right alongside us, ready to comfort us. If we'll let him in by being honest. We had hoped. And his presence will renew our hope. Honest emotions welcome Jesus. If you can't see him, if you can't find him, it it might not be some intellectual problem you have. It might be an emotional disappointment. And it seems that Jesus is interested in our heads and our hearts. 
And he seems to be encouraging his followers to strive to learn while at the same time freeing their hearts to continue to hope. Now here I want to pause a moment. We've talked about women, and now I want to talk for a moment about strong men. Now the sermon I'm preaching today, more than a few people, you, you don't run in circles, so I read all these things that pastors write and uh, church leaders are talking about, but more than a few people would say the sermon I'm preaching today is a mistake. And there's more than a little bit written today about how men are connecting less with the church than women. And churches tend to have more women who attend and are involved than men. And some have been writing saying that churches, without knowing it, are trying to corral men. And in effect, holding down their manliness and trying to make them like women. That's the argument. You might have a, a, a series of problems with that. I'm not arguing for that at all. But what I'm trying to say is, compared to what's been a lot of writing that's happening today, a sermon where two of the big takeaways are listen to women and be honest about your emotions would be seen as another example of this. Unattractive and emasculating to men. Now, I think churches in general, including ours, have more to learn about how to connect to men, for sure, and everyone else. But for men, sure. But the notion that respecting women as equals and sharing your emotions is emasculating is utter poop. <laughs> what is strength in a man? Real strength, or anyone for that point, but we're, let's focus on men. Strength is being able to listen to the thoughts and ideas of another person without being threatened by it. Strength is being able to be in touch with reality and vulnerable about how you feel about it without your sense of identity unraveling. A weak man cannot listen to women because somehow it shakes his sense of confidence. A weak man has to hide what's really going on in his life. Do men and women, or however you identify, see the world the same way in general? And in general respond as strongly to the same types of community involvement? I don't know. Do we need to pay attention to make sure that what we do and who we are encourages all sorts of diverse people, men, women, however you identify? Yes. But what is strong? You know, what I saw with my wife's delivery and my son Declan, what we see as an example of strength in Jesus, perseverance, sacrifice, vulnerability, those are universal elements of strength. We're not weak to embrace them. On the contrary, they help us find and connect to Jesus. And one of the truths, I think, from the story is that when these men were hoping that what these men were hoping for is actually happening, just in a completely different way than they expected. And what seemed horrible, the cross, is what is bringing about redemption for all of humankind, but they can't see it. And the tr transcendent one is walking right next to them, and they miss him. We all 
We all have blind spots. And strength is admitting this. Admitting this and our frustration along with it. And opening ourselves to Jesus in new ways and through unexpected means. Let's pray. So Jesus, we pray that you would develop and grow us into strong people. And we pray that by your grace, we would have grown in our own minds and hearts a picture of strength that looks like Jesus. He would be our model, our goal, our picture of what it means to be a strong person. And may we be shaped and transformed by that in the process. May we connect to you in a way that's real and alive and where you're right alongside of us right now. But speaking and acting in a way that we just don't expect, just put a crack in that blind spot that we can see through. And we pray your spirit would come in through that and certainly breed hope, but also that we could lean into that with you and be a part of what you're doing.